So John kind of takes a pause in, in his writing right here because I think it's like he wants to remind us of something. Because when we step back and think about the enormity of what the gospel does, sometimes we get caught up in the weeds. We don't see the forest for the trees. We, we kind of lose the big picture And when we do that, we kind of lose a little bit of, wow, the wonder of what the gospel is all about. When's the last time you really just thought about, wait a minute, God has remade me. He created me, and then he recreated me in Christ. Now, a lot of this requires faith right now. We, we don't see a lot of what it is, and yet we do experience the love of Christ in new and different ways in life that will only continue to grow until we're in his presence. And so John kind of pauses, and it, it kind of can feel like it comes out of nowhere with the way he starts talking, but he starts talking about God's transforming And I mean that, transforming. You know, we have examples in this world that are used even in Scripture of, you know, kind of the the metamorphosis, the transformation. You know, be not conformed, but be transformed. What is it to be transformed? It's it's where the Greek word where we get our, our word metamorphosis. It's what happens to a caterpillar that becomes a butterfly. The second state does not even kind of resemble the first. And I think it's amazing that God gave us that example in this world uh, of a creature being so completely remade that it's unrecognizable in its final state because that's what he wants to do and that's what he does to us in Christ. He transforms us. He remakes us. Everything about who we are, our identity, shifts. And so, starting in chapter 3, verse 1... John says this, he says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, because we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. I'm going to be honest, I probably went overboard trying to put this sermon together because there's so much. It's just three verses, and yet he touches on some of the most profound and amazing and exciting aspects of our faith in this passage. And it's one of those sometimes we just, we can read by it and like, oh yeah, okay, we're children of God. And we don't really think about what that means. Because he says, see what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. So when I mention the gospel, when I say the gospel of Jesus Christ, what comes to your mind first? Forgiveness, the cross, sacrifice. See, for John... He talks about God's love, and he goes straight to the fact that we are now called God's children. 
that we were adopted into the family, and, and that basically God's love defines us entirely. His love. He defines us in, in every single way. He says again, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And he says, and so we are. Reality has shifted for him. And he wants us to see that as well. He wants his readers to understand the monumental shift, the transformation that has happened. You see, so far in this book, John has been hammering on the truth of love being at the core of everything we do, right? He's talked about so far the idea that he's repeated it, that, you know, if you hate your brother, then the love of Christ isn't in you. That, that if, if we don't love one another, then we're liars and the truth isn't in us. He keeps telling us that we should be loving. And it's like after he's written for two chapters about how loving we should be to each other and to others, it's like he pauses and he's like, and here's why. Because God has so loved us that we have been transformed into his children. Now, how many of you in here know you look like one of your parents? You know, people see and, and they're like, oh, you're clearly with him or her. Or, you know, I mean, it's, it's just obvious. People know you and they're like, yep. That's exactly what he is getting at in this passage is he's saying we are God's children and the mark of God on us should be so strong that the love that he has used to transform us should be shining to those around us. It should be unstoppable. And so John now pauses because he wants us to see that depth of love that we have received. And so first, John says that the Father has given us his love. Notice that word right there, given. It's a gift. It's a gift. And you know, love, properly understood, should always be a gift. It should never be something that's earned. But unfortunately, in our world, that's one of the things that happens is that we find out so many times in life that, you know, we feel like our worth is attached to accomplishment or to pleasing others or, or it's attached to other things that, that it shouldn't be attached to. And, and so John starts out and he says, see what kind of love the Father has given us. He has gifted to us. Now, what is a gift? A gift is that which is given freely under no compulsion, simply by the desire of the one giving the gift. They give because they want to give, not because they have to give, not because they're required to give, not because they've been guilted into giving, but a gift by definition, if it is truly a gift, is given out of the goodwill of the giver. And God has given of his love in such a way that we are called his children. I want you to think, just let that soak in for a second. The gift that he has chosen to give to all of humanity is that we can join his family. We get to join his family. We get to sit with him at the dinner table and have a spot that is always ours. So, I want us to think about this, because this gift is given free of charge. How is this given 
in, you know, free of charge like this? How can his love be given so freely if he is holy and we are sinful? Let's talk about the most famous verse in all of Scripture for a moment, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We memorize that and we use it so much that I think we forget how revolutionary this passage is. There's a reason why when we get to heaven, we're probably going to find out that more people were saved by this verse than probably any other. Because it speaks to the heart of the matter, the truth. God gave so freely and so fully of his love to people so lost in sin that it cost the life of his son, Jesus Christ. The only way for God's love to reach the whole world was through the sacrifice on the cross. And when that was the the price that it was going to take, here's the good news, God didn't hesitate. What's it going to take to redeem the entire world, to pay the price for the sin of the entire world? That's the cost of your son. Here he is. God gave of his son. And so, God so loved who? The world. Everyone. Everyone. Think of this. You, me, your greatest enemy on earth. Your best friend on earth, everyone. The love is given freely to those who will accept it. Now, think about this. The love is given freely. But when a gift is given, something else has to happen. And that is the gift must be received. I heard a story once of a father who bought his son a graduation present, graduated high school. And his son had talked for years about wanting a certain model of car. And and he had talked and talked, and he was just certain that he would get that car for his graduation. And the way his dad had even kind of hinted towards it, he was just certain that this was what was going to happen. And then on his graduation day, his father presented him with a Bible and said, here is the greatest gift that I know to give you. And his son looked at it and was disgusted and threw the Bible aside and refused to talk to his father. Years went by. And his father passed away. And then he was going through his father's things and he came across that Bible that his father had kept. And he realized that he had allowed something like this to come in between them, that he had missed years of a relationship on a selfish desire. And so he grabbed that Bible and he started to read it. And then one night as he was reading it, he came across a pair of keys in the Bible. He said, congratulations, son. I love you. See, we have to receive the gift that has been given. But we don't get to define how we receive it. We have to receive the love of God as the Father gives it to us. And how he gave us that gift was through his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. The sacrifice of Jesus was God's way of writing a check that would cancel all of our eternal debt caused by sin. 
But we have to believe and accept that love for ourselves, and that is our act of cashing that check. And if we don't accept that for ourselves, if we don't receive the gift, then that's on us. It's not that God didn't offer it. It's that we didn't receive it. God has offered everything that we need. And so when we do put our faith in Jesus and we're born again, we receive that love. When we are born from above, we receive that love. And all of our sin, all of our guilt, all of our debt is paid in full through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But look, something even greater happens. And this is what I want you to grab onto today. John 1 John 3, 1, that we should be called children of God. You see, the Father says, I want you. I want you. I don't need your accomplishments. I don't need your money. I don't need your your reputation. I don't need anything. I just want you. And I want you with me for all eternity. And I've already paid the price. I've already bought your ticket. I just need you to accept it. I need you to understand that we are adopted into God's family. Something more than a legal transaction takes place. I think sometimes we talk about salvation so much as we're, we're being forgiven our sins and everything that it, we, we almost talk about it like it's a trip to the DMV, you know? That, that we can go in, take care of business, and, and move on. But what he is telling us is that we are now adopted into God's family. God considers us family, and his love defines us. His identity that he gives us defines us for who we are. And we, we need to start looking at it in that sense of like, wait a minute, I've entered into something great. I've entered into something that is beyond just a transaction. I don't just say I'm good with God now. I've got to say I'm family with God. He is my father, and I'm going to be with him for all eternity. We are called sons and daughters of the Most High. So today, when you leave here today, if you have been born again, I want you to understand that as a Christian, you are a child of God. It's not just an upward calling of, hey, you need to get your, your act together. You need to act better. You need to do what's right and, and all of this. No, you need to live in the identity that God's given you as one of his children. And it's not because God's going to get mad and punish us if we don't. It's because of gratitude of like, look at what God has done for us. God sacrificed his one and only son so that he could call you his son or daughter. Think about what he did. He traded the life of Jesus for your life. He raised Jesus from the dead so that you too could be raised from the dead. Our standing in the world goes from being a slave sold to sin and death to a child of God redeemed to live forever in the family of God. This is our identity. This love should define us. 
not only in God's eye, but in our eyes. This is how we should look at ourselves. Because too many times we get identity problems in this world and we think this needs to happen to to make me better or I need to change here or I need to be and then I'll be happy. Let me tell you, friends, true happiness is found in knowing that Jesus Christ died for your sins and you're a child of God. That's it. You don't need anything else. And that's what John stops. He just stops here and he says, see what great love the Father has given us. You know, it's like he almost forgot. It's like I've been telling him to love everybody and to love each other and that love is central to everything and I forgot to tell him, wait a minute, you've got the source of all love because of what Jesus did for you and what you have in God. This is where it should start. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He did not hold back. And you know, today, I see it more and more people in our world are desperately looking for themselves. They're looking. And Satan, our enemy, is having such a field day with this lack of identity and this lack of love in our world that people are literally destroying themselves simply looking for that which God provided in Jesus. And mankind has always done this. We either settle for cheap substitutes or we have the real thing. There is no in-between because we were created to be in relationship with God. We were created to be in relationship with each other, but none of those relationships work until we are set right with God and we're accepted back into the family. But once we're in the family, that love should define everything that we do. Everything that we do, everything that we are, everything about us should now scream the grace of God. His love that has transformed us. And there's a truth in this. That the longer we walk with Christ, the less we should be able to relate to the world. This is not in some kind of holier-than-thou moral crusade. What I am saying is that the more we are defined by God's love, the more His love transforms us, opens our eyes to the truth, the less we should want to have to do with lies and darkness. It should repulse us. We should look at the world, not in judgment, but in like, I don't want that. I know my God. I know who I am. And I don't want something messing that up. I don't want to sacrifice my well-being to fit into the world. I want to follow my God. Because he is the one who has remade me. And so John has to remind them of this. In 3.1, again, in 1 John 3.1, he says, The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. And he's saying that we should be so defined, and we are so defined by the love of God that the world should have a hard time relating to us. The world should look at us and say, I I don't get it. Why? And, And he says here, the reason why the world doesn't know us, they don't understand us, they don't get us, and they're not ever going to, is that it doesn't know him. Have you ever been in a situation 
where the universal language of the Christian faith has been spoken? It's amazing. If you've never been out of the country around Christians who don't speak your language, and yet you can praise and pray together and know that connection and the spiritual bond that is there, if you've never experienced that, I would encourage you at some point to try to experience that. Because one of the most powerful worship experiences I ever had was in a tiny little church in Mexico where I didn't understand hardly a single word being spoken. But you know what? They were praising Jesus with everything they had, and I was joining in, and it was amazing. They didn't understand me. I didn't understand them. But you know what? They even asked me to come up and sing. They strapped a guitar on me and said, we heard you play. Go. We want to hear your praise to God. And the translator told me that, and I'm like, okay. I'll sing a song. And they celebrated it, and we celebrated it. And I'm telling you, it changed me in those moments because I could feel the love of God. I could feel the Spirit of God. And I'm like, this is my family. We don't understand a word we're saying to each other, but, man, this is my family. And we're serving each other, and God knows everything that's happening right now. That is what God's love should do. And as as it... Our fellowship continues to grow as we experience this love of God. We find out that we are planted and growing together. None of us is meant to experience the Christian walk alone. That is a mistake that we have adopted, and we think that it's kind of like my spiritual life, and and so much is on my shoulders and in my relationship to God, and yet the greatest commandment that we have is love God and what? Love your neighbor. He wants us in community with each other. He wants us loving each other. And so look at what he says. He says in verse 2, he says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. When God saves us through faith in Jesus, we immediately become God's children. But that is only the beginning of the journey. And here's something that's amazing to me is how many of you in here have ever thought, you know, man, when I got saved, I was so excited for God. And it's like that waned, and I'm just, I'm not that excited anymore. You know what I wonder is, how is that true? If we're walking with God, and we see the future that He has promised to us, and we know that His hand is guiding us through life, then I would think we would all be quite excited to walk into the future with God, knowing who holds it. Knowing that everything he's doing is to draw you closer to him, to make you closer to his image, to remake you in his image, to help you experience the fellowship of the saints and the fellowship of the Spirit in ever greater measures in life until we are in his presence. See, God is transforming us right now as we go. You aren't here by accident. God has you here today because he wants to do a transformational work in you. You see, what we don't realize is sometimes we want transformation to be one and done. I got saved, boom, okay, it's all over. And God says, oh no, I just put you in the cocoon. 
And we're just going to keep on changing. We're going to keep on growing. We're just going to keep on working and working and working on you. And and when you emerge into heaven, you're not even going to be recognizable as the same person you were when you got saved. Because God is just going to keep transforming you. And so I want to ask you, how has God been working in your life, in your heart to transform you? Sometimes I think we think too big in these things. You know, we want the final product now. Look, you don't get the final product till you get to heaven. So what small ways is he moving you forward? Is he transforming you? Is he changing you? In what ways are you looking at the world and just thinking, um, no, nah, I'm not sure. Where maybe once you were sure. And now you start to look at the world and think, no, nah, I think I'm. I don't think I want a part of that. What changed in you? That was God. That was his work. What part of you that used to say, you know what, I don't need church. And now you're like, you know what, I kind of like going every week. I like the people of God. I always feel better when I fellowship with the people of God. What changed in you? That was the work of God. That's the transformation. And the only time this gets kind of stuck is when we become stiff-necked and we dig our heels in and we start trying to tell God how he should transform us. Now, I know nobody else in here has ever done that, right? None of us has ever tried to tell God what our life should be. Even though he knows the future and he knows who he's turning us into and what he wants, we're like, but God, it should be like this. And I know nobody in here has dug in their heels and really actually tried to force that issue. Because we get in our head exactly how it should be, and we start to try to pursue it, and then it fails. And then we look for like, God, why did that happen? And God says, it's okay, I got you. See, there is this ongoing work of transformation in our lives. And it will always involve experiencing the love of God and the fellowship of God in the Spirit and in the saints. Always. Even when we look back on history at people like Martin Luther who had started the Great Reformation and we make, you know, he's a hero. You know, he wasn't the only reformer and he certainly wouldn't have succeeded in what he did without the group of people around him that supported him in it. It was still a work of the body of Christ. And everything he does is going to do that. So listen to what Paul says in Romans 6, 5 through 8. It says, for if we have been united with him in, his, in a death like his, dying to self, being born again, it says, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. The emphasis for Paul here is that we must die to self through faith in Jesus to be made alive, but that in being made alive, we are participating in his resurrection. And I don't know about you, but when a corpse comes back to life under its own power, that's some crazy power. And he's saying that's exactly what's happening in us. 
In Ephesians, he says that power that raised Jesus from the dead is active within us. The same power, the same spirit, the same animating spirit of life that he is remaking us from the inside out. He is transforming us. And so, here's the key. In what God is doing in your life right now, He is making you into more than what you were. Now, you may look at me and say, Pastor, it doesn't feel like more. It feels like He is pruning everything that there could be, and I'm just a stem because He's cut everything else off. No, he's just taking away those things that aren't necessary for the journey. And what is going to grow in its place will be infinitely more beautiful than what was there. It will be infinitely more life-giving to others and infinitely more reflective of God's glory in your life. Yes, he will prune. He will tell us things have to go. But it is always a work of transformation that is literally taking us to a higher existence. Listen again to what he says in 1 John 3, 2. We are God's children now. Not will be, now. You're his child. If you are born again, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, followed him in baptism, you are born again. That's it. You are in the family. And, I love this, and... What we will be has not yet appeared. Anybody ever tell you, hey, I got a surprise for you. What is it? Oh, I'm not telling you. That's what God did right here. He says, what we will be has not yet appeared. But God is working to take us to that place. And then he wants us to have a frame of reference. He says, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Now, what is it that Jesus is right now? You see, we know we're walking with Jesus when we start becoming more like him. And I mean, there is no way around that. We should all be on a track that has us becoming more like Jesus. That doesn't mean we're going to all be uniform and all exactly the same. We're we're all going to become more loving. We are all going to become more graceful. We are all going to glorify God. We will continue to be individual members of the body using our gifts for his glory. But we will represent Jesus more and more and more. We will continue to grow. We know God's love is the source of our identity when we see ourselves as sons and daughters of the Most High. And so... When he says we will see him as he is, I want us to talk really quickly about the two great examples, or two great examples, there are more than two, that point us to this truth of Jesus as he is now. And that is the transfiguration and then uh, part of the revelation of Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation. In Matthew 17, 1 through 8, we have this amazing moment where it says, And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, And led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured. That means he changed. He was transfigured. What they saw was not what he was, but what he would be, which is what he is now. That's what they saw. 
And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. This is the response of the unregenerate heart to the glory of God every single time. We will fall in fear. If you are not born again, the glory of God will scare you literally to death. God will scare you to death. Jesus will scare you to death. And yet, what did John already say that we talked about last week? He says that we would not shrink from his coming, but would have confidence on the day of his return. Why? Because we've been transformed. And so it says they were terrified and it says, but Jesus came and touched them saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus. Wow. They got a glimpse into who he is now. Then we have Revelation 19, 11 through 16. This is what the world is not going to like. This is what we are going to celebrate as the children in the family of God when this happens. It says, then I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword in which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron." He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. John, listen to what John said again now. We are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Anybody excited yet? We will be like him because we shall see him as he is. Now, Revelation tells us that the world is going to shrink in fear and call the mountains to fall on top of him and say, don't let me see him who's on the throne. Here it says we'll be like him. We won't shrink in fear from him because we are his Now, how many children are afraid of their loving, supportive daddy? What do they do? When they're scared, what do they do? They run to dad. They put their arms out and say, take me and hold me and make everything all right. In their fear, they are driven to the father. 
that is our Father. And we will run to Him on that day because He is our Father. And so what this does is as we are being transformed, we literally change in life. And if you're, and I mean this, and I don't mean this to be harsh, but if your Christianity, if your Christian walk is the same now that it was 10 years ago, you've missed out on something. You're not listening to God. You're not walking with Him because He is always working to transform us, to change us, to bring us closer to Him. Now, I'm not saying that it's got to be, you know, the most monumental, earth-shattering change, but all of us, if we are repenting of sin, if we're confessing sin, if we're in the Word, if we're worshiping, His love is going to captivate us enough that over time, we're going to start to look at our lives and go, you know, I... I think I need to stop. <laughs> I think I, this needs to change. And it's not something that God's going to have to force to happen. It's we're just going to naturally start to go into it. We're going to start to find, you know, I, I have more love for other people. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little quicker to forgive now than I used to be. And we're going to be able to speak of those things that God has changed in our heart in which we know, like, yeah, God, God did that. God changed me. He transformed me. I used to think like this, and I just don't anymore. Now I'm, now I'm going more this direction. Now I, just, I understand what God is saying in grace now a little bit better, and it's, it's just changing the way I do things. Don't think that it's got to be caught in the world of the dramatic, you know, that I, I did drugs for 30 years and, and I quit overnight. You know, that's, that's, those testimonies are great, but that's not most people. But the testimony of, you know, I've just learned how to trust God. I've just learned how to trust Him and not worry about things so much. You know what? That's just as big a testimony. I know i got some of you worriers out there. Hey, you don't have to worry. God's got this. And the more we believe that, the more growth leads to change. Okay? Growth leads to change. A saying that I heard a long time ago and I love is that healthy things grow and growing things change. If it doesn't change, that means it's dead. You know, I, it, it just is. Healthy things grow and growing things change. Is it completely unrecognizable in the short term? No, you see it. But, you know, that tree puts a new ring on every year. That tree grows new leaves every year. It grows. It changes. And this is what John wants to assure us of, not in a condemning, like, you need to do this. He's saying this is what will happen when he says in verse 3, and everyone who thus hopes in him for his return, for his power, the one who puts their hope in Jesus Christ in all that he is as Lord of lords and King of kings, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. He's saying we become more like Jesus. When you put your hope in Jesus, you become more like Jesus. And it continues to happen until that day when he returns and it says we will be like him, which means there's going to be another great transformation that's going to happen. Inwardly, we've been remade. Spiritually, we've been remade. When he returns, physically, we're going to be remade. Can I get an amen? <laughs> physically, we will be remade. 
And it's such a simple and short phrase that expresses the truth of the Christian life. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. We become more and more and more like him. And so today I want to ask, where is your hope? Where is your hope in life? Are you putting your hope in things that cannot produce this kind of change? Are you putting your hope in anything in this world? Look, it's going to let you down. Even good things that God has given us will let us down if we allow it to take the place of God in our lives. And so the good marriage that God gives us cannot take the place of God. And it's unfair to make it do that. The good family that God gave us cannot take the place of God, and it's unfair to the family to ask it to do that. That job that God gave you that you prayed for cannot take the place of God. Whatever it is that we put our hope in other than Jesus, it will let us down. But when we put our trust where it belongs... What does he say? He says we purify ourselves because he is pure. We will become like him. And so when we become like him, we will start to pursue the things that are like him. We will pursue the things that glorify him. We will pursue the things that make him happy because the things that make him happy will be what makes us happy. It will be the things that will fulfill us. And so I want to close with 2 Peter 1, 3 through 8, because this is what the Christian life should look like. It says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So what he's saying is that through Jesus, he's given us everything we need. Everything, his spirit, his power, new life, everything we need. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. We will be like him when we see him, the divine nature. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. They don't know us because they don't know him. The separation. For this very reason, here's what the Christian life should look like. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. To supplement, that means to add to it. It doesn't change our faith. We're not redefining our faith. We're not moving away from our faith. We are building on the foundation of our faith. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, that's the transformation that we should be growing in these things. We should be growing in our knowledge of God. We should be growing in our love for the brotherhood, for the family of God. We should be growing in our virtue and and what we know to be right and to walk in it. We should be growing, not perfect, but improving. This is why I say your Christianity cannot stay the same and level for 10 years because it should be improving. Just improving, not perfect. You know, it'll probably look more like the stock market. But, you know, the average should be (laughs) an increase. But over time, we should be transformed in very visible and meaningful ways in life. 
And if we are pursuing those things in life and becoming more, then we change and we impact the world around us in ways we can't even begin to describe. So where is your hope in this world? Make sure it's in Jesus Christ. And if you struggle with your identity, if you don't know who you are, then today I'm here to tell you, you are a child of God. A son or daughter of the Most High. Do not forget that. Don't let Satan convince you of anything else. That is who you are. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for today. And God, we just thank you for an incredible day of worship. God, we got to celebrate baptism, God. That's what this is all about, about being remade in your image. About dying to self and being made new, being raised in your resurrection. So God, I pray as we go through this week, God, that you would help us to capture that sense of identity as a son or a daughter of the king. That we would know that we are your children now. That God, have the hope of what we will become. God, that we would supplement our faith with these things that we have read, God, with virtue and knowledge and self-control and brotherly love, brotherly affection and love, God, that we would We would grow and become what you want us to become, God. That is one of our focuses here at Grace Family is what are we becoming? And God, I pray that we are becoming more like you. I pray that we are becoming a people who glorifies you in everything. Holy Spirit, we pray for your power in our lives, that we would be purified because we follow the one who is pure. God, it's in Jesus' holy name we pray these things together. Amen.